electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Homes.com knows that when it comes to home shopping, it's never just about the house or condo. It's about the home. And what makes a home is more than just the house or property. It's the location and neighborhood. If you have kids, it's also schools, nearby parks, and transportation options. That's why Homes.com goes above and beyond to bring home shoppers the in-depth information they need to find the right home. And when I say in-depth, I'm talking deep. Each listing features comprehensive information about the neighborhood, complete with a video guide. They also have details about local schools with test scores, state rankings, and student-to-teacher ratio. They even have an agent directory with the sales history of each agent. So when it comes to finding a home, not just a house, this is everything you need to know, all in one place. Homes.com. We've done your homework. My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramerica. Other people want to make friends. I'm just trying to make you some money. My job is not just to entertain you, but to educate and teach. So call me at 1-800-743-CNBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. We had a decent session today. Dow gaining 216 points, S&P climbing 0.95%, the Nasdaq jumping 0.73%. But what really matters is that we got yet another red-hot consumer price index number. It makes it untenable for the Federal Reserve to keep interest rates this low. From now on, the only question is the pace of the rate hikes and the tone of the Fed's language. Now, the bulls, the bulls have to be heartened that the market didn't fall apart when these numbers came out and instead actually rallied with the S&P having a record close. Pretty extraordinary, if you ask me. But maybe the positive reaction is, well, too bullish in light of events to come. And that's why our game plan for next week actually starts all the way on Wednesday when I start discussing it, because that's what matters the most, because Jay Powell holds his press conference after the open market committee meeting. Last time we heard from Jay, he said he'd stop describing inflation as transitory and speed up the tapering of the Fed's bond buying program. Tapering, just forget this term from now on. What we're talking about now is rate hikes. Going forward, I think he'll move up the timetable for rate hikes. We just don't know the cadence of those rate hikes. If Powell says it's time for a series of lockstep rate hikes, then today's rally was definitely premature. And the stock market's going to get hammered. I want you to keep that in mind. But if he traces out the inflation and separates what can be controlled from what can't be controlled, then he may spare us from a term you're going to start hearing a lot starting next week. And it's chiefly going to be echo, uh, said by hedge funds that are short the stock market. And that is that we may be having a crash landing. Yes, that's the term you're going to hear. It's going to be a crash land. These are from people who are typically short the stock market. We've seen enough macro numbers and spoken to enough executives to know that inflation is now rampant, though, which means the Fed really does have no choice to act. However, so I'll explain later. 
That doesn't mean you should sell everything. The market can rally when the Fed's tightening. It just means different groups will go in and out of style in the Wall Street fashion show. We'll have more on the impact on stocks of rate, uh, during race cycles just to prove to you that real money can be made in them by owning certain kinds of stocks. And so you don't just fear the Wednesday to come or the millions of other Wednesdays that we're going to see. Now, I convened an investing club meeting yesterday where I laid out a recommended list of stocks that can handle a new rate hike cycle. What works? You want to own boring companies that make stuff and sell that stuff at a profit and ideally return some of those profits to shareholders in the form of dividends or buybacks. In other words, this is not the time to own a bunch of conceptual stocks with rapid revenue growth but no earnings. The market has lost its taste for anything intangible. Instead, Wall Street's circling the wagons around steady, solid tech names. Names like Broadcom, which we own for the Chapel Trust, or Oracle, both of which exploded higher today after reporting magnificent quarters. And with that in mind, what is the game plan away from Jay Powell for next week? Right, Monday's a great example of exactly what I'm talking about. One of my favorite drug companies, Regeneron, will have an investor event at the American Society of Hematology's annual meeting, where they'll showcase a growing portfolio for that space that includes bispecific antibodies, RNA-based therapies, and gene editing. Whoa, a mouthful. I think the stock's definitely worth owning away from the conference, but it is going to be a clarion call to what they've got going. Although Regeneron's a biotech name, it's very profitable, and the stock trades at a ridiculously low price to earnings multiple. That makes this tangible, not conceptual, because it trades on earnings, not sales or future pipeline prospects. So if Regeneron tells a great story, I think the stock will be rewarded and it breaks out to an all-time high. If, it were losing, if we're losing money, I would just say pass. I wouldn't even mention it in the game plan. But it's not. It's making money. It's making money hand over fist. Now, I've said over and over again that we're living through the roaring 20s. This is a boom economy, people, and the vast majority of companies are doing very well, except the ones that lack the ability to raise prices or lack the inputs needed to make their products and have to pay up for them. So one of these challenged companies is a company you all know. It's called Campbell Soup. And it struggled with raw costs and sales growth when reported this week. But they have an investor day next Tuesday. Now, we know that Hormel, the maker of Spam and Skippy and Peanuts, Peanuts, was able to push up prices. And and the stock did quite well. Uh, Cables right now apparently isn't part of that club. But maybe they can be. While this, this stock is cheap, it's not cheap enough unless management can lay out a story of innovation, along with data showing that they can get away with raising prices. I'd love it if Campbell's Soup could pull it off. I'm not holding my breath. Judging from the quarter, you may just have to listen to the event as an explainer, not a catalyst to buy. But I am as always open-minded. I certainly wouldn't want to miss Hormel. Talked about that with, uh, with Jeff Marks and Zev Hema from the Investing Club, saying maybe we've got to put Hormel in the bullpen if it comes down to perhaps buy it for the club because they're doing so well. And they have, they're a different aristocrat. We're going to talk about that next week. Now, we know Wednesday is Fed Day, where the language of the Fed statement and the Powell's press conference will be closely scrutinized. I can't read Jay Powell's mind. I have tried. But there's one thing I can predict perfectly. Regardless of what he actually says, there will be people who come on air arguing that it's very, very bad for your portfolio and you're going to lose money. These people don't know history and tend not to know the, your stocks either. Don't take them too seriously. Wednesday night is a good example. We're going to get earnings from Lenar, the big home builder. People are going to say you can't own home builders after the Fed starts raising rates. That's wrong. That's that's very wrong. Regular viewers know that I'm a huge fan of Toll Brothers, but I also like Lenar, and I bet it will report a terrific set of numbers. However, because it's coming on Wednesday night on the heels of the Fed meeting, I expect the stock to get dinged. Yet we know the demand for homes is at an all-time high. We know Toll Brothers was terrific. We just heard from them. So if Toll stock gets hit off of Lenar, you have my blessing to do some buying, as long as the Federal Reserve doesn't get too punitive. If j starts talking about a series of lockstep rates, then, you know, we're not going to want to own 
that at all. Also on Wednesday, Eli Lilly holds this investor meetings. Now, it's the first in ages, and Eli Lilly is an expensive stock in future earnings. Uh, as, a, as I told members of the investing club, though, at our meeting, I bet we'll get good reads on a number of drugs, one for diabetes, which also has a good component against obesity, and one for Alzheimer's that I think is substantially better than Biogen. And you know I do a lot of work with the American Migraine Foundation. I've done some work with the Brain Foundation. I think I know whereof I speak. These could be potentially multi-billion dollar, not million, billion dollar franchises. We own Lilly for the Chapel Trust, and while I don't know how positive they'll be at the investor meeting, they can, they can be coy. I think the long-term prospects are just terrific here. It's worth buying. Thursday morning, we hear from two amazing companies, Accenture and Adobe. Accenture is the consultant that helps businesses become tech-savvy. They'll onboard you to the cloud. They know all the players. The stock always trades erratically in the wake of earnings and then settles down by the end of the day. So if you don't own it yet, I would wait for the usual buying opportunity before it starts climbing again. Adobe is one of those tech names that's so solid you got my blessing to own it because it's a heck of a lot more tangible than most cloud names, similar to Salesforce or NVIDIA, both of which we own for the trust. However, I'm begging you to not own too many high-priced earnings multiple stocks here because they do tend to act anemically during periods of Federal Reserve tightening. After the close, FedEx reports, you know what? I've think about this and thinking about this, this. And as far as I'm concerned, this has got to be the single hardest stock to predict the outside, uh, outside of TAC of what it will do next. I wish I could re- recommend it because I admire the team, but I don't have that kind of conviction because I found myself in the coffee grinder every time I think I've figured FedEx out. Sometimes it's just better to tell you at home, I don't know. Now, we haven't talked COVID, but they'll certainly be talking about it when Darden, the parent of Olive Garden, gives us some results on Friday. The restaurant business can make a big comeback, but not all of them. And you don't want to be levered to a company that can't afford to spend on technology or workers anymore. Darden's got deep pockets. They can afford to win in this industry. So I'm looking for a very solid report when they report Friday. Here's the bottom line. We've got a clear setup next week. If you want to trade, you're betting on whether Jay Powell steers us toward a soft landing or a hard landing on Wednesday. But if you want to invest... You should use the inevitable Fed freakout to get some better entry points to some high-quality stocks that have great longer-term prospects. Let's take some calls. Let's start with Matt in New York. Matt. Booyah, Jim. How are you? I am doing well, Matt. How about you? I'm doing well, my friend. Thank you. Appreciate everything you do for all of us investors out oh, here. Thank you, buddy. Thank you a lot. Thank uh, you very much. Jim, wanted to get your thoughts. I noticed today, um, I, I've loved this stock before infrastructure. I liked it during infrastructure. And now that we're past the bill, I, I still like it. It seems like there's a vast uh, array of opinion on it. It's Caterpillar, C-A-T. Yeah, oh, they really are. There are people who think that the raw cost metals are going to hurt them. There are people who think it's only levered to China and China's slowing. There are people who think it's levered to China and China's cutting interest rates. It's levered to infrastructure, and therefore it's got to be doing what Here's what it's levered to, okay? Great management that does very well when there's a lot of economic activity. Uh, when the Fed starts raising rates initially, there is still a lot of Fed act, uh, economic activity. And by the way, they do have infrastructure, but they're really linked to oil and gas. It's a good story. I like Nucor more, the steel company, but Caterpillar's a good story. Let's go to Eric in Washington, please. Eric. Hey, Jim, and nation's capital. Booyah to you. How are you doing? I am doing well, Eric. Thank you for asking. How about you? I'm doing wonderful. I was about to enjoy the holiday season. Yes. So speaking of which, uh, I bought some shares on a whim of a company I'm not all that familiar with. I wanted to get your opinion on Ralph Lauren. All right. Now, I am actually very close to this company. Uh, Actually, I'm probably one of the few people who really I would like to think has a very good relationship with them, not to know anything other than 
uh, what's public, but I really have studied the company. And the reason I mention that is because it's insane that it's at 122. That last quarter was good. I think people didn't understand it. They like Capri more. Uh, they like they they like PBH more. RL is a solid buy. And I want you in. The only one that I think is more mispriced is William Sonoma. I'm going to deal with more of that next week because I'm starting to get annoyed at the sellers. They better get out of the way. I got something to say to them. Right. And we got a clear setup next week. Use the Fed freak out to your own advantage. Check out some of the recommended list stocks we have from the investing club. And I think you'll do quite well. Mad tonight. Deck the halls with bowels of profits. I'm talking to the king of decking, and that is Azek, A-Z-E-K. Get a read on the housing sector, company's top brass, and why the stock seems to be stuck in a range. Then yesterday, we held our inaugural investing club event. So I'm recapping the event and taking more questions from club members. That's my favorite part of what I do. And potential rate hikes have investors on high alert. But I'm using history as a guide to help you prepare your portfolio for when the moment arises so you don't panic, which is not a strategy. So stay with don't miss a second of mad money follow at jim kramer on twitter have a question tweet kramer hashtag mad tweets send jim an email to madmoney at cnbc.com or give us a call at 1-800-743-cnbc miss something head to madmoney.cnbc.com fact Running a business is not getting easier on your wallet. With higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. Also a fact, smart businesses are reducing costs and headaches by graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required. Accessed from anywhere. You can cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. See how you'll profit with NetSuite, and then you can think of all the ways you could be spending the money you save. Company retreat in Malibu, anyone? By popular demand, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to NetSuite.com to start saving. When you're hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging to connect with candidates faster. Plus, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visible visibility at indeed.com slash mad money. Just go to indeed.com slash mad money right now and support this show by saying you heard about indeed on this podcast, indeed.com slash mad money. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need indeed. After this morning's bullish housing data, what do we make of AZEC? That's the company that makes faux wood construction products for deck and trim. 
Here's a stock that was a big winner after it came public a year and a half ago. But then it peaked this spring, and it's been stuck bouncing between the mid-30s and low-40s for months. I think ASIC is misunderstood. The stock often trades like it's a proxy for lumber prices, but that is certainly not the core of the story. The rise of, of faux wood is a true secular trend. The stuff looks great. It lasts longer. It's much easier to maintain. And best of all, ASIC's basically in a duopoly with tracks, and there is a premium price here. Now, when ASIC reported mid-November, they gave you a nice beat, but because the guidance was merely in line, the stock initially sold off. Since then, it's erased nearly all those losses, but you've got to wonder if they can finally break out of its recent trading range and make a run at its old highs. So let's check in with Jesse Singh. He's the president and CEO of ASIC to get a better read on where his company's headed. Mr. Singh, welcome back to Mad Money. Well, it's great to be here, Jim. Thanks for having me on again. All right. So, Jesse, are you almost caught up with demand? I know you've had to put up a lot, a lot of capacity to be able to catch catch up. Yeah, we we as you've mentioned, we've added significant capacity. Um, uh, we, we've had at, at TimberTech in particular, our decking line. We, we've really had strong growth. And, and as we've been adding capacity, we're now to the point really this quarter that we have the ability to take on new customers and continue to grow. So, we're finally through after 18 months with all of the capacity ads, as we've seen really nice growth in this market, to a point where that capacity can lead to uh, to increase customer activity. Now, at the same time, could any of your raw costs come down so that we might be able to uh, mitigate whatever margin erosion we've seen? Is that possible that some raw costs can come down? Well, I, I, I think, you know, we, like many companies, um, have experienced pretty significant inflation. Now, what we've done is we've priced uh, appropriately against that and we've been driving productivity programs. So as you look at the uh, as you look at the business progress, I think what we've guided to is, is as we exit our uh, fiscal second quarter, that you'll start to see margin expansion again. And I, I think the key in that is between pricing and productivity, we've really set ourselves up well for the future as we work our way through uh, some of the inflationary uh, variables, uh, some of those variables, in particular raw materials, over a period of time will come back down, and that will give us an opportunity to continue our margin expansion. Now, I think a lot of people we mentioned at the in- intro are, are somehow relating your company to the, uh, the price of lumber. That has not been a correct correlation. Am I right? Yeah, I mean, as, as you look at our performance, our residential business, which makes up 90 percent of the company, has had a compounded annual growth rate of 18 percent um, over the last 10 years. And that's really been driven by the market dynamics of strong repair and remodel, our really strong position with TimberTech and AZAC as a technically differentiated product. You know, um, that, uh, that momentum has continued as wood has been volatile. And as we look forward, there's no reason to believe with all the activity we have and the great conversion opportunity we have that we won't continue to see growth consistent with our historical growth. Okay, so Jesse, it is as a stock picker, this is my job. uh, And I've known, you know, I've got two lives. I've got the life of uh, a person who's trying to invest and a person who's also trying to figure out different companies. Uh, These these tracks, your competitors, it stocks up 68 percent. Your stock's up 10 percent. Your company is trying to do as much recycling as, as possible and yet still have quality merchandise. Uh, Trek is does, does more recycling. Their, their materials are, are uh, much more, uh, let's say, ESG-oriented, if you want to use that term. Could that explain the disparity? Because the two companies are doing very well. Yeah, I, I, I think as you look at our two companies, we, we've been we've really, through the TimberTech brand and the AZAC brand, really set ourselves up as 
uh, you know, the more premium product and, and a product that really gives consumers the choice of not having to settle uh, between looks, sustainability and, and uh, uh, beauty and low maintenance. And, and so as you look at the performance of, of the two stocks, I mean, we're really focused on, on the long term. We believe that, that we've got a terrific position. I, I, I think the one main variable between the two companies is really that we're a relatively recent public company. And, and as such, at times you, you go through um, an adoption of, of various shareholders. But, but you know, as, as we look for the long term, we're really focused on, on that terrific value creation. And, and we really see an opportunity to make significant increases in the performance of our company. And, and by doing that, we're assuming that, you know, our, our stock price and our value to shareholders will catch up. At the same time, you have increased the amount that is recycled. Uh, in uh, in your product, and you're also increasing the amount that's not going into landfills. Why don't you tell us that story? Because it's pretty positive. Yeah, I mean, as as you look at uh, as you look at us as a uh, as a recycler, we've made a commitment to do a billion pounds of recycle annually. Now we're about halfway there. We've increased our use of recycle, and the great thing in particular for us is we recycle PVC into our TimberTech and our Azec products. And that is really unique. There are very few companies that are able to recycle PVC. And the great thing about what we do from uh, recycling is it not only reduces our carbon footprint, it's a great sustainability play in reducing uh, landfill, but it also drives our margin opportunity in the future. Recycled products, especially the landfill recycled products that we use, have significantly lower costs than virgin materials. Well, I think that's a great story. There are many great stories about Trex. I really agree with you, by the way. I'd be very sure about Azek versus Trex. We like Trex. We can like Azek. You don't have to feel like you can like one or the other. They're both doing very, very well. And I'm glad it came on Jesse to explain that because a lot of people would say to me, hey, you like Azek? I said, I like them both. But they're different companies and they have different objectives. And I think that they both offer amazing product. I have to be an Azek user. Okay, that's Jesse Sings. He's, he's the CEO of Azek. And it's great that you came on the show, sir. Look forward to having you on again. Thanks again, Jim. Man, money's back after the break. Coming up, show us what you got, Kramerica. Kramer answers your most important questions on the stocks you like most. Next. You seek the key. But first, you must learn the ways of precision, craft, and performance with Acura's all-electric ZDX. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system up to a 313-mile range and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. You can earn four times points on your top two eligible spending categories every month, like transit, U.S. restaurants, and gas stations. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Four times points on up to $150,000 in purchases per year. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. Yesterday, we convened our first CNBC Investing Club meeting. I hope you'll like that. I was very excited. And something we'll be doing monthly from here on out. If you happen to miss yesterday's event, you can still watch it. You can go to CNBC.com 
slash investing club slash live to catch up. And don't forget to sign up to be a member by scanning the QR code on the screen. I really want you to join us. Now, one of my favorite parts of the meeting, maybe my favorite, was taking questions from some of our amazing investing club members. We had them from 50 states. We couldn't get to all the questions. I felt very badly about that. So let's do let's do more. First up, this thing is so interactive. It's what you've always wanted. Now, just, you know, before I get get started, um, some of these, if you go back to the Boeing one yesterday, you got to watch it because everyone told me it was great. I was so flummoxed by it. Uh, Just check the Boeing one if you don't do anything else today. Okay. first up is Emily in Texas. Maybe we can refer to Boeing. Emily, go ahead. Hi, Jim. I'm a former news producer and had the honor of interviewing you when you brought Mad Money to the UT campus several years ago. So I'm thrilled to get to talk to you again. Was wondering, how do you handle buying into a high flyer that never gives you a good entry point in relation to its moving averages, but keeps going up anyway? Thanks for all you do. All right. First of all, this is the debate that I have all the time. You saw Jeff Barks yesterday. I sit there and I say, damn, darn, darn, when is this going to come in? When is this going to come in? When is this going to come in? And the answer is it only comes in when it's bad. All right. So you have to understand you have to take advantage of what we call the extraneous risk. So if a high flyer goes down for no reason related to it, like let's say something happens um, with uh, inflation, Okay, but it doesn't impact that part of the economy because they can raise prices. That might be. And the answer there is take a look at Broadcom. It gave you very few times to get in. But every time you got in, it was because of an extraneous thing. It wasn't anything to do with Broadcom. So look at that one. That's your best example. And boy, it finished all time high today. Let's go to Kristen in Montana. Kristen. Hi, Jim. Thank you for teaching us how to trim a position and lock in the gain when it increases. But what about the other situation when a position declines? How do you decide to take your loss because the opportunity cost of holding the losing stock is just too great? Oh, God. All right. Can we call up? Uh, well, I, I call, up, call up PayPal. Call up a position PayPal. All right. So. All right. Use Boeing. Let's use Boeing. That's better than PayPal because PayPal was disastrous today. All right. So. Everyone's been riding me on this one. Right. And the reason I wanted to do this again was because that terrific woman in Talon, Oregon, was asking me about Boeing. And what you should have done right here. When we had it, this was on the you know, this was on when people kind of felt that the lock the lockup. OK, the you know, people started th- thinking right here that we'd be traveling a lot more. OK, but nothing was happening at Boeing. Right. There's nothing happening here. That was the clarion call to trim some Boeing. All right. Why? Because I said it was going to go lower or some negative news. So the answer is, if you know that something could go lower, take some off. I did with Walmart. Not enough. But you know, this is one where if I had done it, and this is why it's important. I could have taken the money here and bought some down here, as we advise you to do. So the answer is, when you think you got a loser, what we do is we uh, short term, we battle it. You'll read in the bulletins, we're battling. This is where we're battling. We're battling right now. Win. We're battling PayPal. We're battling Boeing. Uh, we're battling. Um, there's one other that is just awful right now that I was trying to PayPal, win Boeing. Uh, and well, you'll see it wasn't Chevron. Chevron. Oh, Nucor. And Nucor is not a pro- is a winner. But we're battling right now, trying to figure out where to buy back the stock that we sold. OK, so you have to battle the so-called losers that may be winners so you don't end up selling CVS or Viacom lower, as we did. Justin in Washington, D.C. Justin. So my two largest positions are NVIDIA and Generac. Is it best to concentrate on one theme 
or how best can I diversify my portfolio? Thank you for taking my question. All right. Now you got two winners here. Uh, they're not related. Uh, Generac does. Uh, it, it's it, look, it used to just be a backup generator. Now it's like li- literally uh, uh, environmental positive. It's solar. It's everything. Uh, Generac is really good. And NVIDIA is really good. NVIDIA is obviously it's the cars, which is the metaverse, which is gaming, high performance computer. These are just two great stocks. You know, Generac was a bullpen stock. We wanted to buy it so badly. So uh, you've got what I call a high quality non problem. It's not a problem at all. You just keep doing what you're doing. And I have to say, congratulations on picking two winners. We got one out of two. You got them both. Jim in Wisconsin. Jim. Greetings, Jim. I served in the U.S. Navy for seven years aboard the nuclear-powered aircraft carrier USS Nimitz as a Navy nuclear propulsion trained officer. And back of me, you can see a picture of my ship and the plaque they gave me when I left. My question concerns two of the club's holdings, AMD and NVIDIA. Both of these companies are buying other companies. Both of the deals have been in the works for several months. AMD says the deal is going to close in December. NVIDIA says the deal is going to close in the beginning of next year. I've taken some profits off the table as the stocks have run up. My question to you is, should I maintain these holdings or should I take some profits and buy that cashmere sweater? Thank you. Well, this gentleman is a close observer of what I say because the tagline that he said is something that I talked about in Confessions of a Street Addict, which is my mom, who was an inveterate gambler to some degree because we went to the horses and, and, we, and we went to the, the casinos together. She always, anytime she won big, she said, let's go. Let's go, Jimmy. Let's get out of here. Let's go buy a cashmere sweater. Let's get something tangible. I want to thank this gentleman for serving on the Nimitz. That's fantastic. And the answer to both these is, 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 is separate. I think that NVIDIA is struggling to get to close on the arm deal, but they're still doing incredible well for all sorts of other reasons. When AMD closes on the Xilinx deal, you're going to be able to raise raise estimates AMD. So of the two of them right now, I actually prefer to add, add to AMD or buy AMD if I don't have any. NVIDIA could come down. You know, NVIDIA just dips in sentiment. And when it goes below 300, pull the trigger, buy a little. Let's go to Susan in the land of enchantment. Susan. Hi, Jim. Happy holidays to you and your entire CNBC crew. Thank you so much for all that you do for us. It makes a world of difference. My question is, now that the infrastructure bill has passed, has the market factored that in, or are there opportunities in one or two additional sectors? Wow. Thank you. Okay. Uh, first, the crew is here. I know we're not lit, so you can't see them, but a lot of the same people from Mad Money were on the show. And one of the reasons why I was so comfortable, even when I was making you know, mistakes going the wrong way or another, is that I'm so comfortable with our crew. It just seems at this point, it's not humorous. You don't want to make mistakes, but you can do it and then move right on. So I want to thank the crew, too. Uh, it was amazing. Okay, here's a chart of a company that I wished I had bought. Right. This is AECOM. They are an infrastructure company like Quanta. That's another one. PWR. These are the guys who are actually going to get the money. They're the contractors. Okay. so when we knew that the infrastructure bill was going to pass, I should have right here bought AECOM. And I didn't. I made that mistake. I didn't know AECOM's business enough to realize that they'd be probably the principal contractor for a lot of the business. So what I've been focused on is the stock where I can win two ways, which is Nucor. Okay, Nucor is the largest steel maker in the country. It's also a low-cost producer, and it's an environmental producer. And people think it's got 
a, uh, rever- a, a head and shoulders that is going to go down. They think that all the good news is in and they think that, you know, how many bridges can we build? And I am telling you that Nucor is a play on every single kind of steel and it's the best manufacturer and it's a growth company that is not related to the infrastructure bill. So this one's going to sell off. And every time it sells off, the P.E. is incredibly low. I think that 2022 is going to be up year. The analysis will be a down year. I am betting on Nucor. Uh, well, I'm not betting. I am investing in Nucor for the club, betting this way that there will not be a decline in 2022 earnings. So Nucor is our way to play it because you can also win if it doesn't w- uh, do well. AECOM is a classic example of people who bought it ahead of the infrastructure. They were smarter than us. They made good money. A lot of the people who just wrote in that I just listened to and watched are smarter than me. We learn from everybody. We learn from the club. Please join the club. I was so proud. You know, my daughter listened to it. My daughter. Yes, easy. She listened to it. I'm very proud of that. I'm very proud of all the people who listen to us. And I'm very proud that we have so many members of the club and I'm proud of Kramer. Thank you, Kramerica, for sending in your thoughtful questions. Remember, in case you missed, here we go. All right. In case you missed the inaugural club event, you can head to CNBC.com slash investing club slash live to see the whole event. Much more Mad Money Head. I'm taking a closer look at the last tightening cycle so you can prepare for whatever the Fed or the media may throw at you about it. Then, despite a rising CPI number and shortages galore, could it still be the best of times for some big names on Wall Street? I'll reveal what I'm seeing, and there's a lot of exciting stuff about it. And, of course, all your calls rapid-fire in tonight's edition of The Lightning Round. So stay with Kramer. Today's red-hot consumer price index number up 6.8%, the fastest inflation in 39 years. Well, we got to steal ourselves for the Federal Reserve starting to hit the brakes on the economy. When business is booming and prices get out of control, you need to know that the Fed is going to tighten. Jay Powell's already talked about moving up the timeline on winding down of this bond-buying program he has. I wouldn't be surprised if he hints, as I said at the top of the show, about what the rate hike agenda is, not bond-buying, in this week's meeting on Wednesday. Even if he does it, you're almost certainly going to hear about rate hikes coming this year, this next year. And it's going to be very loud and, frankly, very scary. Now, there are a ton of commentators who talk about a more hawkish Fed like it's the end of the world. This piece is dedicated to tell you that's not the case. These commentators act like this whole rally has been fueled by nothing more than easy money, brought to you by the Fed. So when they take the easy money away, the entire stock market has to collapse. It's all cause and effect with these people. But I've been in the business 40 years. I can tell you that that's not how it works at all. I'd like to call these people out. They haven't been around long enough. They don't know what happens. While rate hikes are bad news for a whole host of industries, the truth is that the market can still go higher during a period of rising interest rates. We just have different groups that lead the way. They don't like to go down under the hood. They look at the top averages. Even the top averages actually show some good things. What makes me so confident? It's because I know my history. And it's not even ancient history. We know that the Fed market can we know that the market can rally when the Fed starts raising rates because that's exactly what happened a few years ago during the last tightening cycle, the one that went from 2015 to 2018. 
We got one rate hike in December 2015, another one in December 2016, then three rate hikes in 2017, four in 2018. All told, the Federal Reserve rate, funds rate went from federal funds rate went from a range of zero point two five to a range of two point two five to two point five zero. And what happened to the stock market? Well, let's see. In 2015, the Dow was down slightly. The S&P was flat. At NASDAQ gained 5.7%. 2016, we were up nicely. Dow rallying 13%. S&P climbing 9.5%. NASDAQ rising 7.5%. 2017, it was a huge year. You would have sat out this whole thing. You didn't listen to these people. Dow roaring 25%. S&P jumping 19%. NASDAQ pole voting 28 Things didn't get truly ugly until 2018, and really not until the end of 2018. And that's when Jay Powell hit us with the final, uh, the final two of those four rate hikes, one in September and another in December, along with some very aggressive commentary about how he might have to overshoot with an additional series of lockstep rate hikes. At the time, we barely had much in the way of inflation, and the market came roaring back in 2019 when Powell changed course. He had to change course. It was just it was too ugly. Still, even with all the devastation from the Fed turning hostile at the end of 2018, the Dow finished the year down 5%. The S&P lost 6%. NASDAQ declined less than 4%. This was considered to be the great bear market. If you look at the whole period from the middle of 2015 when we started hearing rate hike chatter, like now, Fed Chief Janet Yellen through September of 2018, when the newly appointed Jay Powell practically declared war on the entire economy, the stock market had an incredible run. S&P gained 41%, Dow gained 50%, NASDAQ gained 61%. I mean, can you imagine sitting that out because you just had people come on air and tell you it's going to be a crash landing and you ought to get out now? All right, what about if we zoom in? Okay, you could argue that the better analog for where we are right now is actually 2014. I'm not hearing a lot of people use that, but I like it. When the Fed started tapering its post-financial crisis asset purchases. This, uh, they started tapering in January 2014 and put an end to quantitative easing early entirely by that October during that period, you constantly heard experts warning that a newly hostile Federal Reserve would wreck the stock market, destroy your portfolio. But in 2014, the Dow only rallied 7.5%. S&P jumped 11%. And the Nasdaq was up. Nasdaq was up 13. <laughs> Moving on to 2015, we didn't get hit with an actual rate hike until the end of the year. The anticipation of a rate hike managed to hold down both the Dow and the S&P. However, there's some important context here. The market was mostly doing fine in the beginning of the year until August when we got slammed with a really nasty correction. But it had little to do with the United States. What happened? Well, the Chinese stock market had become just an obsession with managers, and it crashed. It crashed so hard that the pain spread all over the world. The Shanghai Composite still hasn't fully recovered. It's not even close. So what worked after the China panic as we got closer to the first rate hike of the cycle? The best performing sectors were the consumer staples, technology, and the consumer discretionary stocks, industries that can do just fine when rates are on the rise. The worst performing sectors, energy, materials, and the financial all groups that crush get crushed when the Fed hits the brakes of the economy, materials in particular, because of the China slowdown. How about 2016? All right, very solid year for stocks, although the election means things are a little muddled, right? 2016 got started with a hideous meltdown in tech, but then pretty much everything turned around. Those gains only accelerated after the election when we got a clean Republican sweep and Wall Street correctly concluded that we were going to get a bunch of tax cuts. As for the best performers this time, they were actually the cyclicals, energy, the financials, the industrials, and the material stocks. That's right. Even when we were bracing ourselves for more rate hikes, the most economically sensitive stocks were about to roar, which is why I'm saying that could be a snapshot of what might await us here. 
Moving forward, 2017 was the best year of the whole group, the whole lot, even though that's when the Fed started to get a lot more aggressive. We got three rate hikes rather than one year, one per year in 2015, 2016. This was an incredible period for the market, where just about everything worked. Tech, materials, industrials, consumer discretion, financials. These are groups that rarely share leadership, but the market was just that good. You will not hear mention of this when we start the chatter. As I mentioned... It wasn't until near the end of 2018, years into the tightening cycle, that an unseasoned Fed chief, Jay Powell, unleashed true, unleashed true carnage on the stock market. Jay Powell hit us with four rate hikes and promised many more to come, which made things really, really ugly at the end of the year. Also, it didn't help that President Trump began to ramp up the trade war with China. I thought that was necessary, even if the, the execution I felt was a bit botched. But Wall Street hated the trade war. Nevertheless, through the first three quarters of 2018, the market was up nicely. Then the White House turned extra hawkish on China, while Jay Powell turned extra hawkish on inflation. A one-two punch that sent the S&P 500 down more than 20% in the fourth quarter, knocked 25% off the Nasdaq. Fortunately, we got some relief when Powell immediately changed course in January 2019. He realized that he whipped our nascent inflation in the bud, but that was a terrible period. That, again, was botched execution. That's why I do care about the way the language on Wednesday. What's the takeaway here? While the Fed absolutely has the power to wreck the stock market, they do. Like we saw at the end of 2018, they did. That typically happens near the end of a tightening cycle, not near the beginning where we are. If you sold stocks in 2015 because you were worried about a looming series of rate hikes, and many did, you missed out on some tremendous gains over the following three years. So don't let all this rate hike chatter sour you on the entire asset class. Stocks can do very well when the Fed's tapping the brakes. It's just that we get a different set of leadership groups. As we head into 2022, you want to own companies that make tangible things, sell them for a Profit, especially if they return the profit to shareholders via dividends and buybacks. That will be my theme for 2022. The bottom line, the Fed may no longer be your friend, but it hasn't turned into your enemy either. And if the last tiny cycle is any guide, it won't do that for a very long time. Stay with Kramer. Coming up, a storm is coming. So give us a call. Kramer's got the answers to all your burning questions. The lightning round is next. And then the lightning round is over. Are you ready? Ski Daddy, the lightning round comes with Tom in New Jersey. Tom! Hey, God, Jim, how are you? I am good. How about you? I'm doing good. Listen, my question I bought Sunrun a few months ago at around Ooh. 56, and now it's down around 43. Um, I'm not sure what to do with this. I'm now. not a Sunrun just- fan. I'm an Enphase fan. I just got I like best of breed even when it comes to solar, and that's Enphase. Carl! In New Jersey, Carl. Jimmy Chill. How yo, are yo. you, buddy? What's up? All right. All right. What I got for you is stock I bought um, had a spinoff company uh, about last year this time. Um, the stock dropped down a little bit. And then as it was ticking back up, I bought some shares. Year to date, I'm up 51%. Um, wondering if I should buy, hold, cash out. Or, um, you know, I don't know what to do with it. The stock is AIV. You know, boy, that really did. I remember there's a dividend play. Um, and they've, re- they've recreated that company. You know what? I can't opine on it. It's very different from the company that I remember. Let me do some work on that. Uh, but that was a ver- obviously a very good job by you to own that. I, I am surprised about the, re- the changing of it. Let's go to Dan in Florida. Dan. 
Hey, Jim, I just want to know what you think about Lightning E-Motors, ticker symbol Z-E-B. Oh, I know. You know, we opined on that at one point, and I'm just, I'm betwixt and pe- between. I, you know, it may be the it may be the best of a lot, but you know what? The lot's not good. Uh, let's just stick with Ford. Did you see Ford after the club meeting? Holy cow! I mean, geez, all I can say is come back Monday, Jim Farley. All right, let's go to David in Pennsylvania, please, David. Jimbo, Dave from Delco. Booyah, ski daddy. Yo, yo, man. Delco, I'm Monco. Hit me. <laughs> Love the show. First time, long time. Thanks for everything you do for the small time investor. My ticker today is AAWW. You know, that's a good situation. I mean, I was thinking about all the pain and sturm and drag we had yesterday with uh, with Southwest, with LUV, with Gary Kelly. And here's your one that just got no pain at all. I think you got a, I think you got a horse sense. Let's go to Frank in Michigan. Frank. Hey, see, Danny. I got a long way from Luke Booyah to you, big boy. I'm liking this poet. I love him a lot. What's going on? <laughs> hey, years ago, you made me some mad money on Flextronics. Now they've gone autonomous, and they're calling themselves Flex Limited. What do you think? It's a good company. It's never gotten a high multiple. I happen to like J-Bill. They report this week. I prefer J-Bill over Flex. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the conclusion of the Lightning Round. The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. Coming up, it was the best of times, period. Kramer gets sanguine on some companies that may really be living their glory days. Next. It was the best of times. It was the best of times. It was the age of great sales. It was the age of spectacular profits. Why am I riffing on the legendary first lines of the tale of two cities? Because contra Charles Dickens... Things are so positive right now for so many American businesses that we need to take a second to appreciate this incredible moment. I know you hear all the bad news all the time. Ooh, the Christmas toys that didn't get there, the rising consumer price index numbers that we got this very morning, worse since 1982. Notice they worked that in every second. The shortages that impact nearly everything, including the sacrosanct cream cheese schmear. Nevertheless, as I keep emphasizing, we're now in the roaring 20s, and the earnings we're getting are, frankly, extraordinary, especially when you consider the circumstances. So take one of my absolute favorite companies for ages. Take Costco, the bargain hunter's paradise. Costco's amazing CFO, Rich Glanty, who happens to be an incredibly funny guy, talked about how tough things are out there on the conference call last night. Listen to this. Quote, the factors pressuring supply chains and inflation include port delays, COVID disruptions, shortages of varying components, raw materials, ingredients, and package supplies, labor cost pressure, and truck driver challenges. What a litany! Glanty goes on to say about 79% of important containers are late by an average of 51 days. Holy cow! So how badly is Costco doing? Not badly at all. They're actually crushing it. Putting up excellent numbers both here and around the world, as the stock shows. Glanty always points out that Costco is the last to raise prices and the first to lower them. That's created tremendous customer loyalty. Pair that with their amazing membership program and fabulous sales associates who only seem to leave when they retire. And you can understand why this is such a great story. I mean, I bet I don't know how many people have actually left Costco for a competitor, but I bet you you can probably count them on two hands. In short, this is a tough environment for Costco. But. They're pulling it off 
because the company's so darn well run. That's why the stock jumped more than 6% today. Then there's Oracle, which shot up more than 15%. When Oracle reported last night, they told us a story of incredible growth, rising market share, and accelerating revenue growth. ARG. This $280 billion software company, in other words, not a small company to be up that much, just had its best quarter in years. And unlike Costco's customers, who are individuals, Oracle's all about the enterprise. Meanwhile, they're buying back stock and paying a good dividend to boot. Both the CEO, Safra Katz, and the founder, Larry Ellison, were crowing on the conference call. And why shouldn't they? Oracle is doing amazingly. Their enterprise resource planning programs are on fire. And I get the impression that the only real problem here is that they may have trouble handling all the new business. They're winning. Yeah, they don't have enough people answer the phones. You can say the same thing from Broadcom. Symbol AVGO, which saw its stock jump 8% today. Here's a dominant supplier to the data centers and to the cell phone makers. Like Oracle, Broadcom delivered just amazing sales. They're striving to meet demand while buying back $10 billion in stock. I'm in awe of how the CEO, Hock Tan, pulls it all off. All you have to do is look at this morning's research to know how powerful the sales and the earnings are right now. I do a memo each morning that used to be just for a couple of people on Squawk on the Street, David and Carl, the executive producers. Now I share it with CNBC Investment Club members. If you're a member of the Investing Club, you get it every morning. Today we had incredible news from the home builders, home builder suppliers, cell phone makers, high-performance chip makers, oil and gas, fertilizers, athleisure, department stores, in banking. I mean, that's just one morning, for heaven's sake. So the next time you want to wring your hands about inflation's out of control, remember that inflation's a side effect of a booming economy. There are so many companies out there that are making fortunes right now, and fortunes for you too, if you're shareholders. Rather than just fretting about the CPI number, you know what you should also do? You should be trying to profit from the best of times for corporate America. I'd like to say there's always a bull market somewhere. And I promise you I'd find it just for you right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Cramer. See you Monday. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.